Bulimia sucks, but you don't, and here's why. The Bulimia Sucks podcast with Kate Hudson Hall will teach you how to begin breaking through the multitude of thoughts, feelings, triggers, and urges to empower yourself to change your painful behaviors completely. You will hear proven strategies and solutions to help you in your recovery, including real interviews with real people. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calm this. Check it out now on Amazon. And now... Another episode of Bulimia Sucks, the podcast. Hello and welcome to Bulimia Sucks. So my name is Kate Hudson Hall and thank you for listening. So these are real stories from people who are suffering or have suffered an eating disorder. And it's a platform for people to share relatable, uplifting, and inspiring conversations based on bulimia and anorexia and their victories and the challenges, because there are many. The episodes will include their personal stories of where they are now and their difficult journeys and their steps taken into recovering from their eating disorder. And our guest today is Julia Phoenix 11. So welcome, Julia. (laughs) Hello. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, thank you for joining us. This is great. So Julia is a relationship coach and a speaker and a transformational healer. And she works primarily with women and couples to help them create and sustain supportive, loving connections. And Julia today is going to be talking and sharing her experience with bulimia. So welcome, Julia. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Kate. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, this is great. Great. Oh, so... Okay, so let's start off now. So can you think of a a funny experience that you've had sometime in the past? Yeah, I mean, I think what's really funny for me is actually characters. I've always been, you know, cracked up by like a really goofy character and happen to be in an improv class right now. Self-expression is really important for me in in all kinds of areas of my life. And it's been a huge part of my recovery from bulimia and anorexia. Um, So anyway, we had this assignment where we had to create a character. So I was just goofing off with my partner in in the kitchen and I developed this character. Her Her name is Suzanne Taylor Humphrey. And she's a soccer mom. I don't know if this is going to be funny to anyone else, but it was funny to me. She's like a total soccer mom. And she kind of is the one that talks to you in the store like, hi, oh, how is Billy? Oh, I saw you guys are so sweet. I'll send you over a fruit basket. You know, she kind of is that like ultimate mom type of a thing. And so I ended up doing this bit for the improv class. Of course, you have no idea what's going to come out. And, And I feel like when you do this, characters sort of live through you. You're not, I'm not, you know, you're not really in control of what's coming out. And so what came out was this story of how she found, found this silver lining in COVID by taking little lint balls that were in the house and creating all kinds of um, accessories and, you know, Christmas ornaments and things out of the lint. You know, she said you could, you can make a hat for your cat you know? (laughs) Um, So that was funny. That cracked me up a little bit. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) 
That's excellent. Oh, and so did everybody, how did everybody take it in the class? They thought it was hilarious. They really liked it. Yeah. It's really funny to see the different characters everybody else comes up with too, you know, different accents and just different weird quirks. Um, I love people. I just think people are hysterical. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Julia, so tell us about your experience from with bulimia and how, how when did it start how old were you you know I was actually really really young so it did it wasn't full fledged until I was probably well actually my eating disorder in general wasn't full fledged until I was probably 16 or 17 years old um but the first time I consciously I remember consciously throwing up my food I was eight so I was actually really young. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, I have a very clear memory of this, um, lifting up my dress. I was wearing this little dress with like red and and white flowers and lifting up my dress and looking at in the mirror and looking at my stomach and I'd just eaten. And I don't even know where I got the idea from, but I do remember having the thought that if my stomach was less full, I would feel better and everything would be okay you know? And so I did that. And it's not something that I did continuously for, you know, after that, but Mm -hmm. I kind of had little episodes here and there, 12, 13, 14, 15, um, 16. And then, and then by the time I was 16, I actually, uh, believe it or not, a doctor in the U S had told me that I was like three pounds above the healthy weight range for the BMI or whatever, sent me to Weight Watchers. I'm like 15, Um. you know, Weight Watchers. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. sent me to Weight Watchers. I'm uh, like a 15 year old girl, you know, oh, I don't want to mention numbers because I don't want to trigger anybody, but it wasn't like, you know, I was in any kind of a health crisis or anything for her to send me there. Anyway, I became obsessed and then that's where the anorexic tendencies really started to kick in. Uh, so there was a period of about five years where I wasn't actually throwing up, but I was restricting massively. Right. Yeah. Right. And then we swung the pendulum and I can get into that a little bit later, but. <laughs> Why do you, what, what, what changed in your life for it to sort of, well, for that pendulum to swing, swing the uh, other way? That's, and that's a really, this is a really interesting part of my process that I don't share about publicly really often, but I ended up going to a residential treatment facility when I was, my third in my third year of college because my weight had gotten so low that it was really dangerous and I had a therapist at the time who was very scared for me and so we put me on a plane to Arizona you know which is like the treatment center capital of the country here in the states mm-hmm. um so we went I went to this uh, this treatment center and I ended up going to a couple of different centers my insurance kind of kept bopping me around to these different places And, you know, I think like going into treatment, there were so many positive things about that experience. And there were also so many really challenging things about that experience. There's also some really funny stories actually that I have from treatment, um, (laughs) which we might, we might get into a little bit later. I mean, I, I did, I've seen people like throw a chair at the glass, you know, wall and break it and, you know, just run like literally make a run for it and hop the fence and go running literally off into the hills. Just there were some crazy experiences in those treatment centers. And some of them were really, uh, were really challenging, you know, 
Um, and I think what was hard was uh, maybe not being fully ready and in a place where I could really look at and sort through all of the causes and conditions around the disorder for myself. Um, you know, just kind of getting a lot of those physical treatments, trying to, right. you know, gain the weight and everything yeah. and having some, some positive experiences with counselors and things like that, but I couldn't really, there wasn't a solid enough foundation for me when I got out. What mm. does that mean? What do you think that, what should the extra help have been for you there to cre- create that solid foundation? You know, that's a really great question. I'm not entirely sure what that would look like. I actually think ideally I probably would have spent a longer time in treatment. But when I say that, I'm also saying that knowing that my particular experience at these particular centers wasn't actually that great in in many ways. I I think I needed more um, emotional support that was uh, a little bit more empowering maybe actually, because what I felt like was a patient. You know, I felt like I was a patient that was coming in that, you know, was treated like I was sick and I wasn't, I don't feel like I was really given tools at that time. I did have a positive treatment experience later on, which I can tell you about, but at that time, I don't feel like I was really given these tools to, um, to process my emotions in a different way, like to understand myself and my motives in a different way. It was, it, it wasn't deep enough. Basically it didn't go deep enough for me. Right. Um, and it probably would have had to be longer period of time in order to get that deep, but also probably different, um, different layers of care that they might've provided, I think. But, but when I got out from that, I think I also needed more of a support system you know, in my living situation and everything. I know there were some girls that went to like a PHP, you know, program where it's like kind of a, almost like a halfway house. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't want to do that because I wanted to go back to college. You know, I had all these, I had a life, I had a boyfriend, you know, I remember wanting to be out by Christmas so I could spend Christmas with my boyfriend, which is understandable. You know, you want a life. I was 21. I actually turned 21 in that treatment center. They joked that they were going to, um, give me a keg of insure, which maybe some of your listeners will find funny because that's what they give you uh, as a like a food supplement, you know, insure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we got you an insure keg, Julia. I'm like, great, twenty one. But I think I think it would have looked like probably um, more integration of some of the things that I was learning into my life on a daily basis, you know, probably talking to people on a daily basis, going to see someone a couple times a week, at least, you know, I needed some type of infrastructure uh, and some, and, and some tools, you know? So basically what happened is I, I also learned tricks of the trade from bulimics when I was in treatment. And this is something I don't hear talked about a lot, but there's a lot of weird, I don't even want to say them honestly on your show because when we talk about these things, sometimes it can be really healing, right. To talk about like the weird behaviors that we do and everything like that, because it's our own secret world that we want to let someone in on. So as to discharge the shame around it and not keep this sense of secrecy and isolation. But at the very same time, there were conversations and things that I witnessed that, um, I, I felt like I, um, I just gained, a different perspective on what the disorder could look like yeah. and what I could do. And so yeah. when I got kind of placed back into my 
environment without those tools. But, but the anorexia wasn't working anymore. That's the thing, because I now knew that there was like this problem, the the dam had been kind of, you know, broken. Does that make sense? Like the, um, the thing that was kind of plugging up all the emotional experiences. Oh, the pain. I see. Right. So those emotions were bubbling to the surface and like they were bubbling up. I had been gaining yeah. weight. I knew that there was a problem that I needed to do something about. It wasn't just something I could just hypnotize myself back into. Like it's okay to just not eat. I knew it was a problem. I was actively trying not to do that. And I had been gaining weight and all of this. And so those emotions were coming up in a big way. I didn't have the tools to cope with it. I didn't know what to do. And so I remember first just, you know, because I was starting eating again too. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people will relate to this because your body literally has been in starvation. So part of this is a biological thing, but I would start eating something and just felt that I can't stop experience. And I would binge and then, um, you know, and then it just, it just really progressed and got out of control from there actually. So I actually got worse after treatment, like much worse, <laughs> like to the point where, um, I remember that I remember once after I got out of treatment, having a really bad binge and having a struggle to purge actually. And I took a bottle of sleeping pills because I could not stand, um, yeah, I could not stand the idea of this food being in my stomach like that. And it was just yeah. it, the, the well, level it, of It pain. is, it's that extreme. That feeling is yeah. so powerful. It just takes over and you just need to free it, yourself. It, yeah, yeah, it really does. It, it's, it's something I can't really describe to someone I think that doesn't understand what that's like. It feels like you will do literally anything to get rid of this, yeah. pain and this panic, you know, in your body with that. Um, and so I wound up, you know, in the ER, there were actually two other attempts during this time period. This is one of the hardest time periods of my life. Actually, my disorder was so bad. And I also started drinking and doing other things that were kind of reckless because that pendulum swing for me, Kate was like, the anorexia was all about this control. You know, it was like, um, great grades, you know, since like an A plus student in college, you know, this, uh, this kind of like very controlled, I don't really have access to my animal instincts or my human feelings. I'm kind of above all of that. Right. And when I lost control, it was like, I really <laughs> lost control Yeah. and went into this aspect of my being that was like, I'm just going to lose control in a massive way. You know, and I did that with just a lot of dangerous behaviors, like a lot of drinking um, and, you know, drug use. And uh, I'm also type one diabetic and I, you know, did some really regretful things around not taking my insulin and had a laxative addiction as well that came up. It was just full tilt, like self-destruct mode, you know that was a really hard time. And so I was kind of in and out of the ER semi-regularly because, you know, with the, with the diabetes type one, you can't, you, your, your system can't handle you no, know, no, a lot of that. Not that anyone's system can, but it was maybe a little bit more extreme for me on a physiological level, what was happening, which I'm, I'm grateful for today because it brought me to a place where I had to change. And actually the first step for me in in coming out of that cycle 
was um, getting sober actually from drugs and alcohol. So I went to rehab when I was 23. Right. And that was something that really created a, a massive shift for me. It was, I still was struggling with the bulimia, but I had this desire in me to change and to heal that was really intrinsic. And there was this commitment that happened to that path. And there was support that emerged for that journey. And that really set me on my course. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a lot to to kind of spit out. Yeah. Yeah. So after you'd gone into rehab for the alcohol and the drugs, so that's kind of what mm-hmm. opened the door for you to begin to address the bulimia. Yeah, in a different way. You know, I think I was already addressing it, but it wasn't really effective because, uh, number one, it's hard to do that when you're drinking and, and using. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you're just you're not, you don't have a solid foundation kind of. Number two, I don't think I was really committed to life at that point in time. It was kind of this attitude of um, really, I didn't think I was going to live past my mid twenties. Like I was just, and I didn't really care. It was kind of like, I didn't see the point. I didn't see the benefit in trying to stop at that point in time. Cause at this point it just, it felt like this is kind of all there is. And, you know, I'm just going to do this until something takes me out that was my mentality you know and yeah. it's really it's really dark when you really name that and think about it but the shift for me in getting into treatment was actually this is part of the reason why I was so excited to do this podcast it was really about talking with people and connecting with people god is going to make me cry who um had been where i was in many regards uh and i my first sponsor in my 12 step program was bulimic and she had been bulimic for 18 years and she, she wasn't anymore. And so hearing from people who they knew the behaviors and they knew because they've been through it or they've been, or they've done worse, or, I mean, people had all kinds of situations and they were on this other side and they were saying, Julia, like, we know that life can get better for you and I want to help you get there. That was absolutely life-changing so it was such a fork in the road type of moment yeah it's like and I think that's one I I can remember when I was sort of in right in the depths of it you just can't imagine ever that you will be able to get out of it and that's why I wanted to you know create this podcast to for people to understand that that you can come out of it and it's having the the right tools and that's why I want to invite talk to lots of different people because everybody's different and it's finding that right way for you. Yeah, a hundred percent. And just knowing that that was possible in this way, it really changed everything for me. And also, you know, with, with my experience in rehab, part of, part of the healing for me too, was really getting real and taking responsibility, understanding that, and this was a piece that was missing in my previous treatments. I, I felt this, this kind of, you know, I kind of had this like identified patient type of stamp on me and my, this I- identity of like, I'm sick, you know, and there's something wrong with me. And it's not that I wasn't unwell, obviously, but there was this identification with that that prevented me from 
really taking ownership and saying, you know what, actually I have some power and agency here and I get to make choices to take charge of my life, you know, to do something, to, to make it better, to do something, to heal. Um, you know, nobody else is going to do that for me. It was really kind of the, the place that I got. It was like really clear that, um, you know, and, and kind of in rehab, you know, sometimes counselors and stuff, they'll shake you into reality because it's like, you know, you got to get that, you know, there's only a few different ways that that story ends. If you don't do something about it, you know, it's like, it's, it's, they're not, they're not always that nice. And the reason why my experience anyway, with counselors and rehab, the reason why is because it's like, you're going to die, you know? And so it's this kind of like, you know, shaking you, taking you by the shoulders and shaking you kind of moment, like, Hey, wake up what you're doing. You know, you're going to die, end up in prison, something like that. You're too beautiful of a soul for that to happen. So we need to do something different. And so that was why I had that kind of wake up moment, you know, where how, did you, I, how do you know that that was the wake up moment? How did you actually, you know, because you would have been told that before, but how did you, what was different about that time when they told you that? Well, it, it felt different. I think, you know, it was something that, landed differently for me. And when I really think about it, honestly, this is why, you know, I'm a, I'm a relationship coach. And like you, like you mentioned in my beautiful intro, thank you. I think that it was really the connections with the people that I made in that rehab center. It was counselors, specific counselors that I felt actually really cared about me and saw me. There was especially one counselor, his name was Jen. And he actually, unfortunately, passed away a couple of years ago. And I've been clean and sober now 12 years. Um, Fabulous. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. And he was such a huge part of that. He was one of the first people, even though I got straight A's in school, he was one of the first people to ever really tell me that I was smart. Like, and, and I believed it from him. It just felt like he could really see me. And he had this affinity for me because I think he had a daughter around my age. And I, right. I was not... I, I did not feel safe with men in general at that point in my life, but his presence felt so safe to me. And he just had this kind of fathering energy. And, you know, I actually really trusted him. I really trusted him. And he believed in me. And he would tell me like, I know you're going to get out of it. And he didn't say this to everybody, actually, you know, he said, I know that you're going to, you're going to move past this. Like you're going to get out of here and you're going to do this. I know you will. And I know you can. And he would tell me that I was going to um, kick bulimia. And he was one of the only people that didn't make me feel like there was something really gross or awful about me for yeah. having that, Yeah, you know, because even in drug and alcohol treatment, I think this is really important too, to talk about even in drug and alcohol treatment, they didn't understand my eating disorder at all. In fact, I was eventually, and, you know, Jim and Lonnie, my counselors, they had nothing to do with this. It was the higher ups that were, you know, making this call, but they actually kicked me out eventually of rehab because of my bulimia, you know? Um, And I think it makes sense in the the fact that in the sense that like, they didn't have people who were really qualified to treat that. Yeah. You know? So it was kind of like that. It was it was still real sudden, sudden, you know, and kind of traumatic this like, well, we can't handle you. So <laughs> like, sorry, bye, oh you know, my gosh. anyway, so I felt like I was just this, you know, um, even amongst the, 
the people in the rehab who obviously didn't all have their shit together. I felt like I was this just weird creature that did this awful, disgusting thing. And he actually told me like, you know, Julia, everybody has their shit. Like look at so-and-so and and, like her codependent behavior with her daughter, look at so-and-so and like, you know, this toxic relationship she has, that's the same thing as you throwing up. Like it's not worse, you know? And, and you can recover from this. And I know you're going to, you know, I know you're going to, and he was right. And I was able to see him a couple of years later and tell him that he was right. Oh, you did. Oh gosh. Yeah. It was such a beautiful moment. He said, and he had a little tear in his eye and he said, I always knew it. Oh, wow. Really sweet. Huh? Wow. But I think that's, I think that's just such a really interesting point that you made at rehab and how Mm -hmm. people look at other uh, uh, people with bulimia because they don't understand it and they they do they just think it's a disgusting behavior and why on earth would you want to make yourself sick after you know they they have no idea and that's 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 quite a a a big part of the struggle of the secrecy and the challenges that go with that yeah it was so challenging and and even the relationships (laughs) inside that rehab center it was really hard because you know, the other thing, this is really shameful and kind of vulnerable to talk about even still, but, you know, I was really in this space where I was out of control with my bulimia. I, I, I did not have conscious control at that point in time over my behavior. And I would wake up in the middle of the night. This was when it would happen because during the day I could kind of keep it, you know, in check for the most part, but I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would just go to the kitchen and start eating. And I didn't care whose food it was when I was in that place, you know, this kind of dissociative state where it felt like I was possessed. And then of course, afterward, I would feel horrible guilt for taking food that wasn't mine, you know? Um, But there was a lot of anger actually directed towards me for stealing food and a lot of upset amongst Mm -hmm. the other, you know, um, the other clients in the rehab and that, that same thing sort of happened in my SLE, my sober living environment after the rehab. Um, and I, I remember like, you know, I, I could understand why they were angry, but I was trying to explain to them, like, you know, what if this was cocaine? Like, what if this was tequila in the cupboard, yeah. you know, would you be able to, to stop yourself and say, well, that's not mine. So I'm not going to take yeah. it, but they're not going to you know, understand really this, that. but it wasn't, it was, it was not really understood. <sighs> so yeah, that, that piece was challenging. You know, so what happened after that? Uh, yeah. So after, after I left rehab, I really, um, I did take ownership of my life in a different way. And I committed really uh, intensely to 12 step work and um, kind of started the business of getting my life back together, rented a little room in a mobile home park. And I didn't have a car. And so I, I got a job as a preschool teacher and I would like walk to the bus stop every morning at like 6 30 AM. And it, it took me, I was doing these like 15 hour days, man, working with kids and then getting on the bus, coming back and going to a meeting at night. And, but, but it felt good to be taking action to, you know, to take responsibility for my life in this way. And I had a lot of support. I had a lot of connection. I talked to my sponsor every morning at 6 30 AM 
when I was walking to the bus. You know, I called her all the time when I was having difficulty. I called people in the program. Um, I had a boyfriend I was really close with, but still these bulimic um, patterns sort of persisted, right. you know, even though other areas of my life were getting a lot better. Uh, and then it got to where, you know, I, wor- I worked with my sponsor and she showed me different tools. I also um, went to therapy, which obviously helped a lot when you find the right therapist for you. Mm. And, you know, I had some stretches of time, you know, I got like a week together, I remember. And then I got like two weeks together and my sponsor was like, I'll take you out for a pedicure. You got two weeks, yay. And, you know, yeah. kind of eventually got months at a time and months. And then I went through a really terrible, terrible breakup actually. And that kind of plummeted me back down. Right. It was like that, that loss really triggered this. Um, And because I was, I was just spiraling so intensely after that breakup, uh, my sponsor at the time helped me to get into residential treatment again for eating disorders. And obviously, like I said, I hadn't had the best experiences before. So I was real reluctant, you know, and I was like, no, I'm going to try this or that. I'm going to do it myself, you know, and I was teaching full time at the time. I was like, I don't want to leave my job, but I think there's this really important moment of kind of surrender that you get to. And I got to that place where again, it was like, I need help. I can't do this on my own. So I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if my job is still going to be here. I don't know if this treatment center is going to be better than the last ones, but I got to, I got to do something. And this is what's it. I, I can't, I can't do it all by myself, you know, and I can't even do it with the help that I currently have. It's not enough. And so, um, I was able to take a medical leave from my, my job. They're amazing. And I went into a treatment center called new dawn in San Francisco. And I don't think it's around anymore, but that was my favorite treatment center experience. Why was it your favorite? Oh my God. It was so good. If only they were all like this, Kate, (laughs) there, it was, it was a, it was a home setting. So it wasn't a hospital. It was like a loft. There were a couple of stories. Um, it was a small group, all women. Uh, and they had, um, kind of like these RAs, like these counselors that were a little bit younger that would kind of hang out with us and have meals with us and talk talk to us. And that was really cool. That felt really good. Uh, and the therapies were really amazing. We did yoga therapy. We did, you know, a lot of art therapy. We did like kind of these spiritual fun things like pulling cards and meditating and, you know, um, yoga and all of those things. And, um, I did hypnotherapy as well as parts therapy for the first time in there, drama therapy. It was, it was just wonderful. And I think the sense of safety and containment that I received there, this, the, amongst the women, especially it was like this very safe container of women. Um, that was so, 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 so healing for me. And I really, I didn't feel like I was just a patient, you know, I felt like I was a part of a community that saw me and cared for me and was trying to help me. And they also really encouraged that. Um, because there was this sort of step down program. I know a lot of programs are like this nowadays, but it didn't used to be back when I was back like 15 years ago when I was in in treatment the first time. Um, But they work you up to preparing your own meals, you know? So you're in the kitchen, you're preparing your meals, you go out, you know, and it was real close to the city. So you'd walk around the corner and there's all these shops and, you know, coffee places and stuff. And you'd go and you'd get a snack, you know? 
you'd have these outings and you, they'd even let you go by yourself because the reality is, is that once I was out of treatment, that was going to be my life. I was going to have to be able to do that. So I really appreciated that sort of gradual um, empowerment that they gave me. Yeah. 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 And taught you how to take back control. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you had hypnotherapy. How, how did you find that? I liked it. I found it really fascinating. It was sort of my first introduction to working deeply with the subconscious. And now I, I do a lot of subconscious work with my clients and it's like my favorite jam. Um, It's not, I don't, I'm not a hypnotherapist, but uh, but hypnotherapy certainly can remove you from your conscious mind in a way that can help you to see and feel things that you would not otherwise be aware of. Yeah. Um, you know, what was interesting though, for me was that with the combination of some of those therapies, including hypnotherapy and the safety that I felt in that container, I did have memories start to surface that I had been suppressing, you know, and of course also as the, as the behaviors weren't there for me to suppress I had some memories coming up that were really difficult. Um, but I, but I had again, the safety and the support to confront those things. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Cause I, I remember when I was on my recovery path, I had hypnotherapy. Um, and I do feel that that was a real mm. huge help to be able to yeah. work with those unconscious reasons why, um you know the triggers and the patterns you know and then afterwards I decided that I wanted to be able to help other people how I'd been helped and so I trained to be a psychotherapist and a hypnotherapist so I've been working for the last 20 years with hypnotherapy and clients with eating disorders so it's really I think a fantastic extra tool to reach towards to be able to break those patterns and those links and those all of those multitudes of many many triggers that you have because a lot of it is unconscious and it's accessing the unconscious mind to be able to work with that to begin to reprogram that part of the mind yes a hundred percent yeah absolutely so so tell us where are you now well now um it's so interesting it's like visiting another another lifetime a whole other whole other world now I live in Bandon Oregon with my partner and we're right by the beach which is incredible favorite place in the world Mm -hmm. Uh, tiny town about 3,000 people but it just it's a place I visited when I was 15 years old and totally fell in love with it there's a lot of trees and there's the ocean right there and just a really sweet place. And so it's a pretty quiet life. We have a couple cats and I have this online business that's actually really successful. And like I said, I chose to work with um, relationship patterns with people, you know, and part of the reason is because I see it as being so tied to recovery and to healing on so many levels. Um, you know, the relationships with people are the things that installed that programming in the subconscious, like you were talking about. Right. And so, you know, um, issues around like boundaries and voice and self-expression, uh, these types of things, I think they can be really, uh, there can be another layer of healing that's had with relationships. And, um, you know, I really want 
everyone, whether they've been through an eating disorder or not, to feel like they can have a really incredible, safe relationship where they can be fully themselves and express themselves and be honored and loved. And so that's really the work that I do. I work with women and I work with couples um, to help them with their subconscious programming, you know, with their attachment wounding, with their abandonment fears, with, you know, the patterns that come up in relational dynamics uh, to really shift that so that they can step into yeah, more depending on yeah, depending on their experiences when they were younger as well, and as they yeah. you know, as they became older, there'll be yeah, it could well be all sorts of different avenues that need to be addressed there to be able to be in yeah. a, a comfortable, calm, relaxed relationship. But you've got it's got to start yeah. within you, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes we don't even know what's there that needs healing until we get into a relationship or we have these experiences with dating or whatever, and these wounds kind of crop up, you know, or patterns or behaviors or whatever. And, um, you know, it was such a revolutionary thing for me to find within my own life, like these links between everything that was happening in my relational dynamics as an adult and everything that happened in my childhood to really see like, oh, this is, this is a direct mirror, you know, and when we actually resolve that original wounding, um, I'm able to show up in a different way, you know, in my relationships and in my life. And so I was like, oh, it's magic. <laughs> now I have to share it with people, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're doing that full time. Yeah. Yeah. I do that full time. My partner actually, um, is co-owner of the business with me. Uh, so that's been really fun. That's really, really fun to just work with him. So we're both at home all the time and yeah. we goof off a lot, you know, make up characters in the kitchen and that kind of thing. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I love speaking about relationships and, uh, you know, topics about communicate like around communication and boundaries, but um, it's not always that I have the opportunity to go this in depth about my story with, my eating disorder, I think like nothing that I'm doing in my life today would be possible and who I am today wouldn't be possible without the whole journey, you know? Yeah. Um, so I really just appreciate the opportunity to share about it. Yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. So if you were to think back, particularly with the bulimia. Yeah. What to say five specific areas helped you in your recovery would you say now when you think back really good question I think um finding my voice was one of the biggest ones what does that mean yeah so it's connected to a sense of self and personal boundaries this experience of being able to take up space in the world and say how I feel and what I want and what I need. And that just wasn't there for me, you know, in my childhood, I was, uh, you know, I'm a survivor of incest as well as cult abuse. And so there was always this kind of sense of you're, you're not allowed to talk about it and you're not allowed to say no. And, you know, it's like, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to be a person. You're not allowed to take up space. You're not allowed to have sovereignty over your body you're not allowed to not feel okay with this. Like, so really a lot of my recovery process had to do with unlearning that and being able to really step into this place where it was like, no, I am allowed. You know, I am allowed. I can say whatever the 
frick I want and I can take up space. And I'm a person just like anyone else who deserves to have wants and needs and wishes and requests. And so it was scary to practice that. Yeah. Um, because the before but, that's all you'd known, I presume. A hundred percent. Yeah. It was actually shocking to me to discover that I had a voice. It's kind of weird to talk about. I don't know if anyone could relate to this, but it, it actually surprised me. It was like, oh my God, you mean I can say that? <laughs> you know, like it, it just was so outside of my realm of yeah. understanding, yeah. you know, because I was just taught to play the role. Yeah. So it was so freeing and so liberating. And of course, the other element of that, which would be my second point is emotional expression. So being able to really feel into what was there on a deep level and bring it out, bring it up and out, bring it forward. That meant crying. That meant screaming. A lot of times that's what the purging actually was and the binging and purging for me. And the binging and purging often was like a stuffing of yeah. emotion and then a releasing of Washing it. them back down there. Yeah, right, right. And so I had to find other ways, right, to express that emotion. I had to find other ways. Um, and some of those had to be really physical and tactile, right? Because that's how the bulimia was for me. So, you know, art, like paint on a canvas, um, you know, all kinds of things that uh, got my hands dirty. You know, I played with ripping paper and making collages out of it. So sometimes it's not verbal. Sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to it, but whatever it was, I learned I had to get it out and that I would be safe getting it out. And I practiced getting it out. I got it out through writing. I got it out through talking about it. I got it out through screaming and crying and whatever, like I said. So that would be my number two thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I would say number three would be... um, finding the right support system in terms of mentors and therapists. Yeah. Uh, so having people in my life, number one, who had been through it, and that might be more of a peer-to-peer relationship. A lot of people can find that in different 12-step groups or online support groups, things like that. Um, but also someone who was obviously like trained to help me through my recovery. Yeah. yeah. Um, really important to have that that help. Yeah. And then I think, um, yeah, number four would, would be like this inner work having to do, especially with my inner child and my subconscious mind. So healing my trauma, you know, on a deeper level and developing a loving relationship with my inner child. Uh, I do a lot of inner child work with the adults in my practice. Um, And it's because I think it comes real naturally for me because I was a preschool teacher for so long, you know, yes, <laughs> so I yeah. kind of have that lens and I have a master's degree in human development, actually, in an undergrad and early childhood development and, and early childhood education. So it makes sense to me to be able to speak to a child and help them through their emotion. And, and that was always why I wanted to teach and why I wanted to work with children was to help them on more of a social and emotional level. And I realized a lot of that was because like, hello, Julia, that's what you needed, you know? So can you give it to yourself? Right. <laughs> so I learned how to, I learned how to show up for myself in the way that I was showing up for all those little ones um, and be the loving parent, you know? And then I would say number five was like a spiritual connection that I developed. Um, and, and that actually connected me, I think a lot to my truth and my ability to own and embody 
what was true for me and to speak it and to take up space. And there were all of these things. It's like really finding, because for me, that connection is not just out there somewhere. It's not up here. It's not, I mean, it is, it's, it's all those places, but it's also, it's really deeply inside of me. And so connecting with that divinity inside really gave me permission to trust my intuition. Number one, because I find that a lot of bulimics, you know, we actually are quite sensitive, very sensitive. Yeah. and intuitive and often we'll sense what's going on when nobody else is and we feel really gaslit or we are really gaslit by people around us who tell us that that's not real or you know don't really see our reality or want to step into it with us and so for me being able to own my intuition uh was also really linked to the yeah. recovery so that I could yeah. follow that and trust that and um and listen to that and tune into that mm-hmm Mm. exactly and I live my life that way to this day yeah you know there's no other way for me to live yeah um except for very embodied very emotionally expressive very intuitive I really embody those qualities of myself today and I wouldn't go back if you paid me 10 million dollars to being in a place of emotional suppression and yeah you know pretending to be fine all the time and hurting so much inside Oh, yes, we've all been very good I know you can relate. Sorry? I said, I know you can relate. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love talking to other bulimics because it's like you guys are my people. You yeah. like get, get me. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's sort of, I feel, speaking to somebody else that's been through bulimia or, or going through it, we're on a completely different level to everybody else and we can really attune to each other on a I deeper think, level yeah I feel that a hundred percent yeah yeah very much very much so oh gosh Julia thank you so much we we're we're out of time now unfortunately I so enjoyed talking to you and hearing your journey and you know and and learning from your experience mm. it's incredible thank you yeah how can people find you? Yeah, so um, I am online at www.juliaphoenix11.com. 11 is spelled out like the word, not like the number. Uh, you can also, uh, I love new Facebook friends. You can find me, Julia Phoenix, on Facebook, or you can email me at uh, questions.julia at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram. I got a YouTube. So I'll just send you those, those you know, those yeah, links. And then we and, can post them below. So, so can, yeah, but juliaphoenix11.com and you can email questions.julia at gmail.com. And I'd love, love, love to hear from you. Oh, thank you, Julia. I'm sure that people yeah. would love to, love to connect with you. Yeah, I, I, I'm always really open to connecting with other people who struggled or are struggling with eating disorders. It's one of those things that even if I'm busy, even if, you know, it, it's like, it's, it's just so close to my heart and I feel so um, much love and compassion and empathy, you know, with other recovering bulimics. So yeah, reach out. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you for joining us, Julia. Thank you for everything you do, Kate. Oh, thank you. So, well, that's all for today's episode of Bulimia Sucks. So thank you for listening and thank you for joining Julia and I today. And 
Thank you to Judy for sharing your journey. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're so, so welcome. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this stuff. It's really cathartic and cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So join us again on the next episode of Bulimia Sucks and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to us from. Um, so you never miss an episode. And if you haven't already heard about it, check out my book, Bulimia Sucks, on Amazon (laughs) to learn many different techniques to help you to begin to break through your painful bulimic behaviors. Mm -hmm. And if you like the book, oh, a review would be fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) So before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. And make sure that you join to our Facebook group, Bulimia Sucks, if you haven't already, where it's great to net, to connect, like Julia was saying, with other people that are, you know, struggling or have struggled with an eating disorder or, disorder or bulimia and to learn from their experiences. So come mm. and join us. So thanks for listening and I'll speak to you again soon. Bulimia Sucks but you don't. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calmness. Check it out now on Amazon.